I have a bias. It's real. It's been with me for a long time. My, my, my bias is this. People tend to fall into two categories. And, and on one category, there are the people who always find reasons that something won't work. Come up with a good idea. Well, you can't do that. Find a fix. I don't think that'll work. And, and then there are the other people who always seem to to find a way to at least try to make it work. And I'm not talking about the, the people who just want to count the cost a little bit. I'm talking the folks who say it won't work compared with the folks that say we'll figure it out. I'm sorry. I know as a pastor and a preacher, I'm not supposed to be biased, but I'm biased. Good morning. My name's Ben Kathy, and I have the privilege of being the executive pastor here at Mountaintop Church, and my bias came to me at a young age. I watched my family, I, I watched my father figure out how to make things work. Uh, one story that comes to mind is as a, a poor college student, I wrecked my car and I needed a new car to go back to school, and there was this VW van for sale, it had been for sale for $2,000, and I knocked on the guy's door and I said, would you take $500 for it? I guess nobody's making an offer. He said, yes. I said, I only have $100, but after I work a little bit, I'll give you the 400 more. He said, okay. <laughs> One day I was riding along in that VW van. And, uh, it was an old school van with the engine in the back where you put your luggage and uh, it wouldn't go. It was on, the radio was on, the air conditioner would work, but the gas pedal wouldn't work. So I, I pulled over and I got on, went and knocked on the door of a house that was nearby and nobody had cell phones back then and, and the lady handed me her phone out in the carport and I talked to my dad and I said, hey dad, and I told him where I was and he came over and, and we looked around the van and we lifted up the, the back cover of the engine and we got inside and he said, well, everything seems to work except it appears that this little line right here that goes from the gas pedal to the engine is loose. Well, dad, how are we gonna make that work? We don't want to pay for a record. We don't have any tools. Here's what we did. We found a stick with just the right little notch in it. And while my dad was up front with his foot on the brake, I was in the back pushing the stick right where the little throttle is, giving it gas. And we drove that thing all the way home with my dad yelling at me, no, not that much gas, more gas, stop. We made it home. But what a great memory, because we made it work. I think my, parent, my, my children picked up on that a little bit. I, I could share story after story, but, but just one. My, my daughter, uh, toward the end of high school, went to a competition in Kansas City. And she left one bag in the hotel room when she went back to the airport to fly home. And this happened to be the bag that had her identification in it her driver's license, I believe her passport. And so she gets to the airport and she talks them into getting onto the plane without identification. It probably helped that she was 17 years old, right? But the, the greatest thing happened when she's telling this story to me and her mom. She goes, Dad, 
it was the Kathy way. We just figured out how to make it work. And I was like, yes. Isn't that good? Well, today we're going to uh, lean into John chapter 6. And if you have your Bible with you or, or pull it up on your Bible app. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there are free Bibles available as you would exit if you're in person with us today. And wherever you are today, I want to say welcome. But as we look at John chapter 6, we're going to be uh, looking at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And there's a couple of application points that come out of this miracle, but I want to focus on one today, and it's this. You offer what you have, let God do the miracle. You offer what you have, and let God do the miracle. Would you find a neighbor, somebody you're with right now, and go offer what you have. We just point at somebody and say that. Well, there's several people involved in this miracle, but there's two uh, main people I want to talk to you about other than Jesus. And their names are Philip and Andrew. And Philip and Andrew represent two different mindsets. Now, sometimes we we over-spiritualize the Bible when we look at it. And I just want to say that neither Philip nor Andrew are, are perfect. Neither Philip nor Andrew are necessarily the people that we need to follow and model our life after. And, and, and like all miracles, this one tells us more about God than it does about Philip or Andrew. But one of these people responded considering only himself and the other one responded aware of who he was standing next to. See, let's set the scene a little bit. In John 6, it begins after this. Do you know the gap? If you, if you look at, at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you read John 5 and flip over to John 6, and it says, after this. Did you know that after this is about a year so the time between John chapter 5 and chapter 6 is about a year, and a lot happened during that year. Jesus taught a lot. Jesus performed a lot of miracles. Jesus gained a following that would follow him from place to place. And on this particular day, it says this huge crowd kept following him. And we find out in verse 4 that it was nearly the time of the Jewish Passover. So there was even a bigger crowd coming by. It was sort of like if, if SEC media days were in town, right? And, and there was just a bigger crowd than usual. And, and this crowd was gathering. And Jesus looks at Philip, who actually was from nearby. He was from the town of Bethsaida, about nine miles from where they were. And he looks at Philip and he says, hey, Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And here's where we'll jump in. Verse 6. It says this. He, that being Jesus, he was testing Philip. For he already knew what he was going to do. See, he was testing. See, see a miracle is always bigger than the miracle. 
You know, and, and Jesus never misused miracles. One time the Pharisees ordered Jesus to perform a miracle to prove something. He said no. In fact, this crowd that Jesus was with later on wanted to force him to be their king so he could use his miracle superpowers to, to, to complete their kingly functions, right? And, and Jesus said no. See, sometimes they wanted the miracle more than the Messiah. Sometimes they wanted a magician instead of a savior. So this test had a bigger point. This test was to teach, and it was to strengthen faith. It was so Jesus could reveal himself as Savior, so that Jesus could reveal himself as something more than a simple king, but the author of all life. Well, Philip failed the test. Philip looked for a human solution forgetting who he was standing next to. In fact, here's Philip's reply in verse 7. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Jesus. We, we found out there's 5,000 people. Actually, there were 5,000 men. If we want to say uh, average family, 3.2, you think that's about right? That means there were 16,000 people. Folks, we have about 1,700 seats in here. So let's double this. What is that? Seven times, eight times this much? And it was 16,000 people. And, and they're like, how are we going to feed them? And what Philip does is he totals up $10 boxes from Panera. And he says, Jesus, we need $160,000. Anybody want to write that check today for one meal? And Philip looks back at Jesus and says, we can't do it. Andrew, on the other hand, had a different answer. And what we found from Philip is that Philip was this person. He was the won't work person. And Andrew... Well, here's what Andrew had to say. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He overheard, right? He said, hey, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Notice, Andrew didn't go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I know you can do this. You have to do this. What Andrew said is, hey, Jesus, here's a possibility. That was, almost, that was almost like saying, hey, Jesus, I found some sardines and saltine crackers in the fridge. I mean, fish were very common in that day. And, and barley loaves were the cheapest kind of bread. It was rough. It was almost like bark. It wasn't the good kind. And, and, but Andrew saw something. And Andrew, instead of only thinking about himself, remembered who he was standing next to. You see, there's no way Philip marries my daughter. Right? But Andrew, Andrew, Welcome to the family, because here's what Andrew was. He wasn't won't work. Andrew was, this might work. He wasn't uh, 
just risking without having any knowledge of what would happen. He, he said, hey, Jesus, this might work. And look, there's a little boy. There's a six-year-old boy standing here. And together, us three guys, we could probably feed all these people. Maybe. You see, it's like Andrew uh, processed that for just a second as he was listening to that conversation. He said, wait, that's the guy that turned water into wine at the wedding in the at Canaan of Galilee. That's the guy that I've been following around. And I've seen him heal the lame. I've seen him heal the paralyzed, the deformed, the possessed, the untouchables with leprosy, the sick, the deaf, the blind, and even the dead. That's the guy Andrew didn't know it, but that's the guy who later that night would walk on the water after he had calmed the storm earlier. He said, maybe this will work. Well, we have a test in this life too. You see, see, I bring the bread and I trust God to do the miracle. But here's the question I want to ask this morning. Will I offer Jesus what I have or will I assume I don't have enough? Will I offer Jesus what I have, me, or will I assume that I don't have enough? The reasons that God couldn't use me are plentiful. And they're easy to come up with. I'm too big. I'm too small. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too busy. I don't have any responsibility. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. I'm too dumb. I'm too smart for my own good. I am new to the faith. I've been at it so long, I'm burned out. I'm too disabled. I'm too gullible. I'm too greedy. I'm too mean. But there are even deeper and more profound reasons as well. God, I'm done. Like, God, I'm going to heaven, but I'm done because I've been betrayed and I just can't trust people anymore. Maybe there's a place in my life where I've been abused or neglected and I've been told that I'll never be enough and I'm just surviving. Maybe there's a place in us with deep regret. We've fallen to the temptation of, of sin in this world where we didn't guard our heart and we're embarrassed by that. And we think that God could never use us. Well, the good news of this miracle 
isn't only that God can turn a little bit of food into a lot of food. The good news of this miracle is that God can use me when I offer God what I have. You see, it's not me that matters. It matters who I'm standing next to. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, guess who I'm standing next to? I'm standing next to the one and only miracle maker and worker, the one who can take not enough and turn it into enough. But let's, let's get even more personal. I want to ask you an individual question. This is only for you. What is your not enough? You see, see the giver of life wants to give more life. But the author of destruction wants to convince us that we're not enough and he wants to take life away. What is your not enough? <laughs> Folks, I, I had all kinds of reasons when I was feeling called to ministry to tell God, it ain't enough, God. In fact, we had that conversation several times. Me? What are you thinking, Lord? In fact, I can tell you that my first public speaking engagement was just a crash and burn. And so I felt called to mention, I'm like, God, like you remember that, don't you, God? You remember that computer class in ninth grade. Don't, don't you remember that class where I was with juniors and seniors? And a couple of those juniors and seniors were the cheerleaders and the football players. And my teacher, she was the cheerleading coach. And I was totally intimidated in that class. But, Lord, I had to give this five-minute speech, Lord, in the middle of it. And when I got up in the very first second of my speech, they started laughing at me, Lord. But I knew I wanted to get a good grade. So I had the script in front of me. And I hung on to the desk. And I kept reading word after word after word. And the more I read, the harder they laughed, Lord, until a couple of them were red-faced and bent over. And then God, I looked up and my teacher was sitting beside her desk and she was on the floor and she was heaved over and her head was bouncing up and down with laughter. But God, I finished that speech, Lord. And you know, I can't go back to that place because when I was done with that speech, I looked up at the group and I said, group, what? And they pointed at my shirt which was sticking out of my fly. And I had given my whole speech that way. Surely, God, you're not going to call that guy to speak in public on a regular basis, are you? Later on in seminary, I sat next to people who had been to Bible college. Man, they knew things I did. Whoa, I, mean, I went to Auburn. If y'all hadn't figured that out, that's not a Bible college, right? The first church I served, it's like, God, I've never served communion. Lord, I've never baptized anybody. Lord, I've never hosted a wedding. God, I've never hosted a funeral. Lord, I've never led a church board meeting. 
How's this going to work, Lord? So many places to say not enough. Starting a new church, moving to a community where we didn't know anybody. All I had was a year and a half of salary to try to make it work. Lord, it's not enough. First, one of the first local people to jump in was a, a, my realtor. She knocked on the door about three or four months after we moved in and handed me a $2,000 check and said, can I come to your church? <laughs> I said, sure, just bring one of these every time. <laughs> no, she had, she had watched, she had heard, and God prompted her to come and, and ask. Not enough. The last verse I want to share with you from John 6 is John 6, 12 and 13. Let's look at that together. After everyone was full, right? Jesus, everybody was fed. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. You see, God can take your not enough and turn it into more than enough. God can turn our not enough into more than enough when we offer it to him. See, sometimes we think that God only used the prized things. But I just don't see that play itself out in history. And on a, you know, that, that church, it's called the Orchards, such a wonderful season. But I'll never forget that day we started. There were 17 people on the launch team. And we were meeting in a stinking cafeteria at a middle school. The mascot was the Red Devils, so we were going to have church at the home of the Red Devils. And we were so hopeful. And about 30 minutes, 45 minutes before that very first day of worship, we gathered in that hallway and said this prayer. Lord, this is your church. We'll never be able to do with it what you can do. So we give it to you. And it wasn't enough. We had divided up responsibilities. There were some guys on the host team and some guys on the tech team and some people taking care of kids and, and a couple of musicians and then me, right? And it wasn't enough. And I got to tell you, for 13 years, it was never enough. But God grew that small group 50-fold. It moved on to, to, to 
to land. It moved into a building. But, but more than that, along the way, never being enough, there were salvations, there were baptisms, there were, there were weddings and funerals, disciples were made, uh, financial independence was found, marriages were healed, um, uh, the Parents became better. Survival of, of some really bad things happened because we gathered around folks. Support for recovery happened. Uh, missions happened. Adoptions happened with the support of a church family. Teaching other churches and pastors happened. Raising up pastors to send out to other churches happened. And it was never enough. But every step along the way, we gave what we had to God. I'd love to speak to you both on a personal level and as the mountaintop family. Did you know we're 29 years old this year? Did you know that? Some of you are like, you're telling me I've been here all 29 years, right? And there's somebody else here today. You may be joining us for the first day or, or you've been part of our family for 29 days. You see... We're never going to be enough. But if we know who we're standing next to, we can say, God, take what we have and use it. I'm offering you what I have, and I'm trusting you to do the miracle. I don't think God is done with me I don't believe God is done with you, and I don't believe that God is done with our family, our church, our future, our hope. What do you think? You offer what you have. Let God do the miracle. Let's pray. God, we... Uh, we just want to lean into you, Lord, and, and, and offer you, Lord, that space in our heart, God, where we feel that you could never use us, Lord. God, let us just offer you what we have and, and trust that, God, you, you might work it out. And God, surely you'll do more with what we have than we ever could by ourselves. And God, let us, when we stand next to you, not be all about our ability like Philip, but God, let us think of your ability like Andrew. Lord, let us be available to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.